Welcome to episode 38 of Redboard Rewind. I'm Spencer Lugmule. Today my special guest is one of the original Kentucky handicappers for the Daily Gallup, Mike McIntyre. We go over some races from Saturday's card at Churchill Downs. Those races are 7, 8, and 11. And some angles we cover are tournament talk, which is better, playing longer or shorter prices, and why horses who love to run second are helpful throwouts in tournament and horizontal wagers. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story. Now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, one of the original people from the Daily Gallup for the Kentucky Circuit, Mike McIntyre. Mike, how are you doing today? Hey, Spencer, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Nice matchup between me and you this week in the Daily Gallup head-to-head competition. Nice win by you. Congratulations. How was your overall oh, weekend? Uh, we good weekend. You know, I'm a, I'm a little busier this week. Uh, last few weeks, doing a little more handicapping and a lot more uh, spreadsheet work, but uh, things are going pretty good. For sure. Glad to have you on as one of the commissioners for season two. Obviously, Vinny Blonde, the other commissioner from season one, got to be doing a great job so far, helping me out. Obviously, I've now started a new job working at Target as a, a personal shopper for people, so I'm also very busy on the weekends. You guys have been holding down the fort. Kind of tell me what you've uh, been up to, Mike, like how you started with your racing career and what got you into it, et cetera. I really didn't have much to do with horse racing at all growing up. I went to a small college in South Carolina, Erskine College, and I was uh, about 92 or 93. I was in uh, econometrics and forecasting class, and the professor was using uh, PPs, daily racing form PPs for a regression analysis kind of like tutorial and it was just weird that when I looked at it I understood what was going on even though I had never really followed horse racing so that kind of got me interested in it and then right about that time uh, Birmingham Alabama opened up their thoroughbred racing track Um, and when I would go home from South Carolina back to Alabama for uh, breaks and holidays and the summers and whatnot I would I started going to the Birmingham race course and that's really where I started following horses or handicapping but i really didn't get into big time handicapping or major handicapping with the more popular horses until real quiet hooked me in 1998 when he won the uh, derby and the preakness and i watched that on tv and that that's pretty much when when the hook was landed for me and i've been in off and on uh, since 1998. Now, obviously, you became one of our top riders for the Kentucky Circuit. Has that pretty much been the major circuit that you've been following for, you know, a while? Or is there other circuits that you also like to follow at the same time? Well, I definitely prefer Kentucky racing. I do follow Naira a pretty good bit, mainly Belmont and Saratoga. Um, I follow the major races all across the United States. The two circuits that I mainly pay attention to are belmont and especially kentucky kentucky's kentucky's my favorite and year round whatever track they're running at um i i basically handicap every card in kentucky do you have a favorite out of the kentucky tracks obviously there's what five of them including turfway on the synth uh keelan's definitely my favorite yeah no doubt 
I love I love Churchill too, but Keeneland is beautiful. The the grounds are amazing. The hills awesome. The trackside kitchen's fantastic. Uh, the paddock is incredible. Um, the Burgoo is phenomenal. So yeah, I, I usually try we I try to go to at least one weekend of Keeneland in the spring and the fall every year. Um, but I've been to all of them. Now, obviously, me and you talk off this podcast. Uh, Turfway, I always can't believe how well you seem to do at Turfway, where I think a lot of other people, you know, they see the the lower to mid-level track and they just start going away to other tracks, Gulfstream, obviously, during the winter. But it seems like you seem to thrive for that exact meet. What are kind of the tips and hints you can give somebody when it comes to following a, a lower meet like that? Well, Turfway is kind of interesting in that the – being on the Kentucky circuit, obviously being run over the winter from December to, to March, the you're right. You don't handicap in lower class races, uh, even though you use the same fundamentals. It's a different different ball game, and I feel like you can find better prices and uh, more opportunities with uh, low level claimers. And I don't. I don't let the poly track um, intimidate me or daunt me in any way. I'm pretty good with pedigree and figuring out, you know, what horses that have never run at Turfway before have a reason to run well and like the track and what horses don't. Obviously you're not, you're not always right, but the, I kind of use the poly track as, as an angle to find horses to improve. Cause I'm sure you've paid attention to your horse handicap and then, winnings that or scores that you may have gotten is that you usually your biggest scores can be found by overlooked horses that have reason to improve for any number of handicapping reasons and the poly track or first time poly is is a one of those one of those reasons to that you can find a good price so you know that and the fact that i handicap every race in kentucky when it's running and i'm familiar with a lot and I pay attention to it enough to know the, the minor trainers and I don't know I, the angles work pretty well for me. And, you know, the more you do something, the better you get at it. So I just, I do pretty well at Turfway. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, my handicap this year with the change of surface. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about obviously two years ago, I'll, I'll make the joke that Pete makes about JK. I plucked you out of obscurity to become one of the writers for the daily Gallup. What has do you think your handicapping has become better now that you've had to kind of put it pen to paper, or do you think you're kind of the same old handicapper? Oh no, I'm I'm a better handicapper now, but the talking to people on social media and Twitter and you know Twitter, Facebook, a lot more a lot more phone numbers in my uh, in my iPhone, a lot more conversations and text threads. Uh, the, I'm I'm a better handicapper all the way around uh, just because of the work of it. And I'm a, I'm a better, a better, better wagerer gambler now than I, than, than I've been in years past from talking, just from talking to smart people. And that's like the craziest thing. We've actually just passed 3000 followers now on Twitter. So a really, really big thank you to everyone out there for that as well. Originally when we first started, we were going to do Churchill or we were just going to do Kentucky and then Maryland. John Piasek, one of the other founders, a very strong person proponent for Maryland. And we got a really solid group. And, you know, we've gone through a couple, you know, innovations of that group. But still, it's you and uh, Hunter Ulwelling are like the original OG gangsters now of the Kentucky board. Is there 
a certain aspect when it comes to, I know you're talking fundamentals, but certain angles that in Kentucky work out more than say Naira or another track? Yeah, Spencer, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I haven't really noticed. Um, I have, you know, I have my methodology on how I handicap a race and I try to apply that to any circuit or any track or any random race card that I might handicap. Um, there are certainly things that are different about each track. And I try to pay attention to, you know, the big days and when the tracks are souped up and speed seems to do a little bit better, but in biases and, you know, uh, at, at Turfway off the top of my head, I, I try to avoid the rail on sprints at Turfway. There's things like that that stand out. I was going to say, let's kind of talk about your methodology then. Can you break it down from, you know, you don't have to give us all your, your secrets, but, you know, just kind of break it down to something that could help a beginning player. Well, it's not, it's not really secrets or anything. And a lot, you know, because I started from a logical standpoint of doing regression analysis, that's kind of stuck. But when I, when I look at, when I look at a clean sheet of PPs that I want to play, um, I go horse by horse and I essentially on the first pass through, um, I look to see, can the horse win or can the horse not win? That's basically it. Um, or is the horse good enough to win? Um, that's on a general level. And then I try to do some uh, pace projections, you know, early speed, closer, the same thing any good handicapper will do. Is, you know, is there a lone speed? Is there a rabbit? Is there no speed? Who wants the front? Uh, things like that. And then the last thing I normally try to do is uh, see if there's if I can come up with a reason why a horse could improve enough to win if it looks like on paper that it can't win. Uh, I'm a firm believer in the fact that most trainers don't enter a horse into a race unless they think it can win. Now, obviously, that's not always the case. You know, there are trainers will use races as preps for bigger races later, but you don't run into that at Turfway, right? I mean, claimers are claimers. They're not prepping a horse to run in a mm -hmm. 10,000 claimer and a 5,000 claimer. That's that's not an angle to look at, but on bigger races and stakes races or minor stakes races, are they running it in the race to, for, to get it ready for a, a, a race later on on the schedule or are they working it back into shape? And, and all trainers are different and use different methodology. But mainly what I do is I try to look for reasons for a horse to improve and try to find a longer price horse that um, the trainer's gotten the race that looks like maybe doesn't make sense and figure out why it's in the race and how it can win. So, you know, from the general level, I'll see what's the horse been doing, how's it been running, you know, what kind of races, are they changing surface, are they changing different uh, distance. Then I look to see what class of races they've been running in. I mean, if you're handicapping a 5,000 claimer at Churchill or a 10,000 claimer at Churchill, and I'd look to see who's moving up and down the ladder and maybe why do some pace analysis, take a gander at buyers, speed figures, brisknet speed figures. And then one of the things that I try to do is figure out the human element for a race. And what I mean by that is why is this jockey off of this horse and on another, or 
you know, a jockey has ridden this horse seven times in a row, but <clears throat> now the trainer is moving to another jockey. Is that jockey even there that day? Uh, if the jockey's there that day and he's not riding one of his regular horses, why is he not riding one of his regular horses? Why is the horse in the race? Trainer changes off of claims. I just, I look at the, the you know, the, the human side of, I look at the horse side first and try to assess the, the strength and the chances of the horse in the race. And then I look at the human side of it. You can find a lot of stuff by, by looking at the humans. <laughs> I, I mean, we always talk about logic, you know, Duke and Paul Matisse are one of those that, you know, they use a lot of logic in their handicapping. I I sense that you also use a lot of logic. It's like a forgotten thing now in the world of horse racing. People just don't think logically, you know, if a trainer double jumps a horse in price, the horse is usually the people say the horse is in, too deep, and then the horse wins by three, and the trainer knew the horse was training so well, you know, it's, and you find that, you know, nice $19, $20 mutual. Yeah, and that, that works sometimes. I mean, it. we're going to talk about Churchill Downs race eight later, where it worked against me. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the reason I had a horse in, in that race that I didn't get right, but yeah, I mean, moving them way up in class, or moving way down in class, is that a big red flag, or are they, or they don't want the horse anymore, or especially, you know, at the end of a meet where they're going to have to travel to a new track or a new circuit. Um, a lot of those claiming races at Oaklawn this past meet, the last week or two, the trainers were dropping horses left and right to, mm-hmm. because they wanted to, didn't want to carry the horses to another, another, uh, circuit. Um, sometimes you just know that the win that the owners like to win. So they'll drop them two or three rungs down the ladder and so it's not that big of a red flag or claiming off of a prominent trainer by a lesser known trainer or you know those are all things that i look at yeah sure let's now kind of switch the side from handicapping to wagering me and you we always tend to have this little disagreement where for me i like to see the ball go through the hoop i'm okay playing chalkier you're the type of player that can you know miss a couple races here and there and still be able to fire enough bullets day in day out what uh? What do you think kind of gives you like the mental resolve to be able to you know miss four or five races in a row and still be able to hit like that twenty percent one in five races? Well, it depends on how I'm playing, Spencer. That you know, I, I like to play when I'm wagering real money um, out of my own bankroll. I'm I'm I I have to be two thirds horizontal um, between pick trees, fours, fives, and sixes. Um, so I want winners. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to put four chalks and a bomb on pick five you mm-hmm. know i i i bet multiple tickets it's not unusual for me to have anywhere from i don't know six eight ten twenty tickets on a sequence depending on what i'm doing that that goes back to what i was saying that i'm a better wagerer now because now i weight my opinions on i really really like this horse so it's on all my tickets or i kind of like this horse so it's on half my tickets uh Here's this sequence. How am I, I how am I going to try to play value here? I, I don't do I don't do caveman tickets. Most of my tickets in a pick five sequence will be anywhere from forty to eighty dollars. But I'll have five or six of them, or play smaller tickets with taking into consideration a, a long shot I might like with some other chalk. I just play it different ways. I'm sometimes. Uh, Sometimes I'll press the all button in the last race so I don't have to sweat it if I like the first four. It really, it's every sequence is different. So if I'm betting real money, I'll, 
I'll, I'll bet vertically in the race occasionally, but not that often. Um, I may, I'm, I'm mainly horizontals with pick fours, fives, and sixes. Pick fives are my favorite, without a doubt. Um, and I'll, I'll play any tracks pick six uh, as long as it's a mandatory payout. I don't like, I don't like to do the jackpot carryovers, but if you're gonna, if you're gonna force a payout at Naira or Gulfstream or Churchill or Santa Anita. I even played the the Fonner pick five pick, uh, pick <laughs> mandatories. So you know I'm looking for value on the front end, and then a card that I like and I feel like I can attack. Now I know. Let's talk about using the all button. For me, it's I've always said the all button is can be good or bad, but to me, you kind of have to have the bankroll in order to use it. I see so many you know lower you know, bankroll players, they'll do, okay, I, I have no idea in the last race, so I'll do all in there, and then I'll just have to pick three singles throughout, even though I like three in this race. And to me, if you're a smaller bankroll player, you probably shouldn't be playing the pick five. Just play the pick three or play two doubles into it, and you won't win as much, but you'll still be improving your bankroll. Like, I feel like people, if they don't win $5,000 every day and not improve their bankroll, you know, even 50 or or $100, like, that's not good enough for them anymore. Well, I'm never going to judge anyone by their bankroll. I, I, the, I don't have the largest of bankrolls out there. There's plenty of people that bet more money than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all across Twitter, there's plenty of people that I know have greater handle than me. There's a lot of people that have lower handle than me. Uh, I look at it from a standpoint of how much do I want to play and how much do I want to wager on the day? Uh, how, how, how good do I feel about the card and the sequence? And I'll let, I'll let that kind of dictate my investment on a certain sequence, whatnot. Um, I've pretty much gotten away from just action bets uh, or hunch bets. I still do those occasionally because they're fun. Cause I mean, let's be real. The, a, a lot of what handicappers do is, is entertainment expense, mm-hmm. but the really, but the really, really good handicappers and, and wagerers, that you're trying to make money every time you, you enter the mutual pool. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't chase, uh, if I'm down big for the day, I, I don't try to do a big get out to, to make money. I, I look at everything, you know, based on my opinion. And then if I, if I am opinionated on a sequence or, uh, you know, a super high five or something like that, or a double or then I'll, they'll bet it accordingly. I mean, there are plenty of times where I like a, you know, 15, 20 to one and I'll play some doubles into it and out of it. Or, uh, there are times where I might like a bomb and I'll have some win money on it and then some exact money on it. in the second, I try not, you know, I'm, I don't like to bet the place. My dad always says that he he likes watching me make my tickets and sit with me at the track or in front of the TV. He likes likes watching me formulate my tickets and sequences and things like that because he he says i i bet like i have to pay my bookie at the end of the week to keep keep him from breaking my leg <laughs> um as, as opposed to i want to turn you know a hundred dollar profit or a fifty dollar profit or i want to be right um I, I i swing so but you're right when you when you play it that way you want to have value you might want to make good wagers and you're you're going to have to get used to losing that was all absolutely amazing stuff there, Mike. We can talk more about the tournament as we talk about these races. Let's get that started with race number seven at Churchill Downs. It was an open $40,000 claimer for four-year-olds and up going one and one-sixteenth mile on the dirt track. 
what were kind of your opening opinions in this race, Mike? Well, the first opinion was the, the I felt the race was wide open. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the morning line odds, the the favorite was was rare form, and it was four to one. Uh, everything, I mean, you didn't have a favorite that was under four to one in the race. So, if you believe the morning line handicapper, the the morning line odds makers, and that race is wide open. When you look at it on paper, I thought the race was wide open. I thought it was a great race for the contest, um, and I also thought it was a great race to take a swing at. So. Well, when I handicapped that race, I primarily did it from, well, they're so evenly matched. Where's my value here for what con- what horse do I want in the contest? And then since I've already handicapped the race, obviously, do I want what do I want to do in horizontals or maybe verticals or win money? Um, so that's how I looked at it originally. Um, I, to me, I felt like uh, Degrom, uh, Fuller Run, Croatian, Eisenstadt. December 7 in rare form were the six horses out of the nine that I thought I could use in the contest. And so then I dug in more on them on where I thought the line was going to go for each of them. You know, did, did I, did I want to play a horse that was going to give me some value or did I want to play a horse that I thought everyone would play? Like when I first did my first pass at the race, I liked Croatian and Eisenstadt uh, the best, but I, the more I looked at it, the more I realized that I felt like Eisenstadt was going to get bet down and probably be the favorite. And I also thought that uh, Rare Form was going to was going to take some cash because I felt like Rare Form in December seven were going to go to the front as the early speed. And I didn't think December seven was going to be good enough, uh, but I thought it might be December seven would be good enough to wear out rare form and set it up for someone who could pounce. I didn't really want a closer. I kind of liked DeGrom a little bit at first, first blush, but he was moving up a little bit in class. I didn't know if he was good enough. Um, and I kept, kept going back to Croatian and I just felt like Croatian was going to get first run on the on December seven in rare form, uh, Croatian certainly loves Churchill Downs. Uh, I mean, I think he was four or five in the money there. Uh, moving up in class was a little bit of a concern to me. His last race was a uh, thirty-two thousand, and this was only a forty thousand, so it was really only one step up the ladder. Mm-hmm. And he, he won the he won the previous race. Um, Gigging was in that race, or he actually raced against Gigging twice, and Gigging is not a bad horse and did pretty well over at Oaklawn. And then, you know, by the time I looked at everything and I saw the horse seemed to be improving and was definitely fit, and it loved Churchill, uh, to me, uh, Croatian was the play for the contest. And morning line odds of 9-2 to two aren't too horrible, but like I said, there's four horses that all could have been gone anywhere. And... Uh, I felt like Croatian's odds were going to float up a little bit, and I felt like Eisenstadt and Rare Form were going to go down a little bit. And so I played the longer value horse in the contest, and, and then I had good money on it too. But, uh, yeah, that's that's why I landed on Croatian. When I kind of looked through the race, when I saw DeGrom, I, I saw the drop off the claim from Sadler. I thought that was kind of a negative, and I thought this horse might take money due to just connections and also just the name. When you look at a horse uh, – like Croatian, that's another horse. Not only does he love Churchill, but the odds that the horse is winning at 15 to 1, 11 to 1, like this is a horse that just seems to keep getting forgotten on the board. And for some reason, I ended up on the number 8 instead. I just, 
the drop from 50 to 40, I you always I always tend to want to take droppers over risers in class. And this is also the reason why I always get a lower price because people just love to, you know, throw money down on a horse that's dropping in class. I thought the nine rare form was a terrible warning line favorite with just when you have a 57 and 92 and a 63 and everyone jumps on that 92 like this horse is going to really run to be something. I just thought I couldn't believe when I saw the eight had dropped down to five to two. I, I was a little bit disappointed in that, but I thought he had solid number numbers for the level. And just watching the race back, it was just interesting to see what had happened. Now you said you had some win money on it. Did you do anything else from a wagering standpoint, Mike? I had I had I had Croatian in the horizontal um, as well, but I, I didn't hit it to pick five. But I I had it start off the pick five, um, so I had a good feeling. Uh, after that race, you know, hitting that first leg of a pick five um, is always it's always good that you don't have to go back into your uh, to your ADW and, and reload on the pick four because you like the sequence, but you didn't have the winner of the first. So, yeah, I mean, Croatian was on uh, was on my pick five. I didn't play the pick six that day, um, but I had Croatian on my horizontals. And who else? Um, yeah, who else? Who who else did you use in the horizontals other than Croatian? Uh, I used rare form that you didn't like. Mm-hmm. I thought that the if any horse could steal it on the front end, um, I thought rare form was the one that could win it. You know, on the engine. On uh, a couple of my other tickets, I had uh, December seven, just in case rare form wasn't good enough on the front end. I thought the same theory might hold true that someone could win it on the front. And December seven to me was the only other horse that wanted to go to the front. I mean, I obviously had reservations with Talamo being on December seven. Um, but if you notice, you know, anyone who handicapped that card, you know, Talamo hasn't been doing that great. But I thought yeah. it was interesting that Talamo was jumping off the nine for the seven. I don't know why he made the move, but Talamo rode both rare form in its last start and rode December 7th in its last start. Um, Talamo's been riding a bunch for Romans at the Churchill meet. Obviously, people, well, I don't know if it's obvious or not, but Jake Talamo's, uh, Jake Talamo, Joe Talamo's jockey agent is Jake Romans. So if you know that Jake Romans is Dale Romans' son, and Talamo's been riding a lot for Romans, that, you know, that explains why he's getting a leg up on a lot of Romans' horses. And before this last weekend, the Roma's horses, uh, I believe, were winless. And Talamo, is, he was one for 70-something at the beginning of uh, the week. Uh, he had a great day yesterday. But so I wondered, going back to what we were talking about, the human element of the race, I saw Talamo was jumping off the nine for the seven. So I, I included uh, the December seven on some of my tickets. Um and I had a small sliver of Eisenstadt on a few of them, but I mainly pressed Croatian uh, in that sequence. So I was pretty happy at the end of the first race. For me, I was going with the number six, or sorry, the number eight Eisenstadt. Mike is on the number five Croatian. Let's hear Travis Stone with the call in the seventh at Churchill right now. And they're off. Rare form that outside post is hustled hard to make the lead from the outside draw. Does so and is over to the rail. Swift move there to grab a two-length lead and save some ground. 
December 7 comes on to be second outside. Eisenstadt comes away third while Croatian is racing in fourth. Eskenfort in between horses fifth by three. Hardly a Secret comes away in sixth. Popular Kid is seventh. DeGrom, not DeGrom, is eighth and down inside. And full of runs the last of them all. Moving for the backstretch run, the opening quarter in nearly 24 seconds flat. So it is rare form cruising along and unopposed so far. Leads by a length and a half with five furlongs to go. December 7 is tracking the pace while second. Croatian is down inside, running along in third. Eisenstadt on the outside is fourth. Eskin Fort right in the thick of it, racing fifth, two and a half lengths off the lead. Then it's hardly a secret down inside. Six popular kid is seventh. Agram is eighth. And full of run is ninth. Round the far turn, and it's still rare form showing the way by half a length with three furlongs to go. December 7 is there. Room at the inside for Croatian, and Miguel Mena sends that one up on through. Eisenstadt not far behind, racing fourth. Eskenford switches outside fifth, and hardly a secret cuts to corner six. Top of the lane, December 7, and rail skimming Croatian. Racing for the eighth pole together, and Croatian is in front. December 7 has to fight back in second. Eisenstadt on the outside is third. Farther back, full of run, trying to come on late, but they're at the 16th. And Croatian never left the rail and wins by five on the wire. And the number five, Croatian gets it done for Mike, paying 17.60 with a buyer of 89. Nice pick, Mike. Let's uh, kind of break down the race now and kind of see what you saw when you were watching the race. Well, it, this is one of those races where you like the fact that what you envision happened. Mm -hmm. um, Croatian got a good trip, got first run. Uh, the lead horses were exactly what I expected. And Croatian was just better than everybody. Uh, it, was, it was a great ride. Yeah, I mean, the, the, got the pace forecast on this race for what I envisioned is almost identical to what happened in the race. So you like it when that happens. It's a boost of confidence. You think you're seeing the track right. You think you're seeing the, the, the horses correctly. And um, it's nice that the way you draw it up on paper is the way it happened on, on the track. Yeah, you take advantage of it and move forward because you, you, sooner or later you're going to be wrong, right? It's always nice when, you're, when you can win by four. Let's talk about rare form. Obviously, he did improve the buyer from a 63 to a 72, but just nothing near that 92 from a couple back. Yeah, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I had I had a big question mark in my head why uh, why Smoking Joe Talamo was jumping off a of rare form, and I I guess we saw on the track why he did. Uh, December 7th wasn't good enough either, but I believe December 7th finished horse so I, correct um i guess joe did choose the right horse and it kind of goes back to what i said before the race that you know part of the reason i played both of those on my horizontal ticket is that you always have to 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 worry about you know loan speed i didn't think there was going to be loan speed there i thought they would press each other i mean if you notice i believe in december 7th got the lead there for just a second and you know it was a good ride good pounce uh by miguel Mina, and uh yeah it paid off DeGrom, second last. Now he's that was second off the claim or first off the claim for uh, Sadler. It was second off the claim. When when you see a horse like that, now we're two races in, didn't run well first off the claim, now doesn't run well second. Just a bad claim, and now they're going to probably end up dropping him way down, and maybe he wins, but he probably gets claimed away again? Uh, that, that, that's always possible. I mean, DeGrom's a gelding too, so you, whoever owns him is only going to run him to make money. Mm -hmm. So... 
you know, six years old, he's probably still got, still got a little bit left in him. I don't know enough about DeGrom as a horse, you know, but he's, he's getting close to 40 starts and he's a gelding. So he's had better days, but, uh, he hasn't been. He, he certainly hasn't been an ATM as of as of late. So I, I it wouldn't surprise me to see this horse get back get dropped back down now. Is there any horse from a trip? Now I know we didn't really talk much trip handicapping with you. Was there any horse from a trip that you thought might have gotten in a rough trip, or maybe one that you can downgrade from the perfect trip? Like, do you think that the number five Croatian, even though he won the race for you, probably not the best bet back horse because this might have been the uh, been the wedding, and next time could be the funeral. Uh, well, that's entirely possible. I guess, I guess that's really really depends on what uh, what the connections do with him because he, Croatian's been running at 32 and now he's up at a 40. I can't imagine they're going to go backwards to 32 with him. So you got to move him up. So you're going to get a little bit of a price break moving him up to 50 or a, or a 62.5. Or mm-hmm. I mean, also it depends on what races are available for his you know for the conditions. Um, so if they move him up a little bit, he, he, he might be able to get a decent price on him next time. If they keep him at this level or uh, uh, or thereabouts, uh, then yeah, you're absolutely right. If you you know your wedding funeral comment is 100 percent correct, uh, that you you're, you're not going to get a better trip than what he got. Mm-hmm. So that what what we saw Saturday is probably as good as he can do, but that's still pretty good for this level. And you know, now he's got four wins and six starts at Churchill. Definitely the horse for course angle there. Let's jump onto the eighth race at Churchill Downs. They were it was a optional sixty two and two X going five and a half on the turf. I seem to love turf sprints. A lot of people don't like them as much. Where did you end up going in here, Mike? I can I considered Dixieland and Candy, considered dance rhythms, hidden facts I thought was a play against. Okay. And I, I I wanted every bit of the seven uh, by barely seen. I, I loved the horse. That's that's when I looked looked at everything. That's where I landed. Um, Amos is good off the claim. Uh, I loved the fact that they were moving him up in class. Um, if you looked at his workouts, his he two of his last three workouts were were incredibly good. I felt like uh, Amos might have found something to improve him. And the, the other factor that I liked about him was is that he's, he was pretty much doing his game, right? I mean, he was five and a half furlongs on the turf, and that's what he likes to do. His, his running lines his entire career are all five, five and a half, six furlongs. The only time he's run on the main track, it was washed off. So, yeah, I, I wanted every bit of Byerly scenes in the contest on my horizontals. I had win money on it, and uh, yeah, that's that's exactly where I landed on the horse. It's also nice when you see a horse in the you know now he was actually in for sixty two on the claim, but when you see these lightly raced horses already at that second level, it's a lot better to take a horse that's more lightly raced than is to take the horse that has you know sixteen twenty starts and still has yet to break through at that level. Absolutely, absolutely. I, to me, Amos moving him up was a vote of confidence. You, you, mm-hmm. you, you do have to take it with a grain of salt, though, because the he's running he's running some minor stakes before, but he's he's basically been a, a fifty thousand dollar claimer throughout his short career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep saying he, we're talking about she's here. Yeah. So you know, 
the, the, she ran some pretty good races as a two-year-old. Um, if she matches fig from a two-year-old, especially that, uh, the, the Woodbine minor stakes back in September, um, she fits. So that, you know, that second off the, I mean, first off the claim from uh, maker was a little bit of concern because maker does a good job and heck even it was in Cox's barn before that. So it's not like, you know, when on the top level trainers, you're, you're, they all are good with the claim game or improving horses. So, but it, I'd have felt a lot better about the seven. If Amos was claiming off a lesser known barn, that wasn't the case here, but everything else on the paper is at 15 to one. I I mean, I legitimately thought this horse, I would get every bit of my 15 to one. And I was just dead wrong. Just dead wrong. That horse went off at 50, 50 to one. For, For me in this race, I uh, I just made just a really dumb dumb mistake. I I had had thought the same thing with you. Hidden facts was probably vulnerable. So the fact that I just either typoed or did whatever to put this horse on top in the contest is my own fault. Um, just when you see horses run second by a half a length, third by a half a length, four by one and three quarters, the horse just likes to be up there, but never had like that winning punch to get through. You see it just in the, in the life lifetime stats: two wins and four seconds. Six for 14 in the exacta, but it's never good to see it when second and thirds are over, overpounding on the win end. The second choice horse for me was Dance Rhythms, uh, Rafael Bayerano and Gregory Foley. Just seemed like the horse was on the improve going from 74 to 80 to 83 and was definitely just, you know, one that hadn't liked Churchill so far, 0 for 3 in the money, but had definitely been facing these and running okay against these types uh, in the time being. What were your thoughts on the two Dance Rhythm? Hindsight 2020, I, I like dance rhythms in my original considerations for my real wagers. Mm-hmm. And I consider dance rhythms in, for my contest play as well. And this, the contest, plain and simple, uh, I, I fell in love with the seven. I just did. And so I played, I played the seven uh, in the contest. Um, I pressed the seven in my horizontals. Um, I had absolutely none of hidden facts for the very reason that you stated mm-hmm. in that the only time it ever pulled the trick of winning wire to wire was its maiden. And, you know, any good horse can do that. Um, so I, I had zero hidden facts in my horizontal and I should have pressed dance rhythms more than I did in my horizontals. Um, and I didn't because I, I primarily pressed Byerly Scene. And when, when I saw the odds of the, <laughs> of the race uh, during the post parade and everything, and, and Byerly Scene was 30, 40, 50, I, I, knew, I knew my goose was cooked. There was just no track steam, no nothing on it. I, I knew I wasn't going to win the race. Um, and I wish that I had a lot more of the two than the seven. Um, yeah. Well, let us see then in this eighth race at Churchill if the number five can get it done for me in the contest, that being hidden facts, or if the seven to one long shot from Mike can get it done here. Here's a call from Travis Stone right now. And they're off. Good beginning for Hidden Facts, racing for the lead. Barely seen there on the outside, up into second. Reedy D comes away racing third. Queen of Shades advances up into fourth. VJ's bet is now fifth. Holiday time is sixth. Dixie and Candyland is seventh. Dance Rhythms is eighth. Moore is ninth. 
Even beat is 10th, and at the back is She's All Skeeped, about 10 lengths off the lead. Racing for the far turn, it's Rini D in front, in front by a length. It in fact, hard on the chase in second and getting closer once again. Barely seen is in behind them racing third. Queen of Shades is asked to go now. Fourth, Dixie and Candy Lance, which is outside fifth, while Dance Rhythm saves ground sixth. They're off the turn. Rini D trying to hang in there. It infects to the attack. Barely seen switches out. Dance Rhythm's in behind. Queen of Shades and on the outside. Dixie and Candy Lance, one for long to go. It infects. They're swarming in now. Dance Rhythm's emerging from the pack. Switches outside, and here she comes. Dance Rhythm's runs down. Hit infects. Dixie and Candy Lance up into third, but Dance Rhythm's and Rafael Bejarano. A good ride there. It infects was second. Dixie and Candy Lance, and then it was either even beat or more. And the number two dance rhythm gets it done, paying $23 with an 85 buyer. Bad typo by me for the contest. You were still probably 30, 40 bucks ahead at this point. This one would have really gotten me back into contention, but bad typo. The five runs as bad as we thought it didn't run bad, but to run second, which is another one of those races where the horse is good enough for second, but just can't get over that hump. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, hit in fact is a horrible contest horse. And it's the exact type of favorite that I like to beat in, in horizontal. So that's, this is a case of having the correct thought process and, and choosing the wrong horse. Now, again, I, I had both the two and the seven. Um, I even had a little bit of the 10 mm -hmm. on, uh, on my horizontals. Um, so I was still alive on a few tickets horizontally, but hindsight 2020, uh, I should have been more on the two than I was on the seven. I was just wrong. So, you know, we're doing these three races and the, the first race I was absolutely almost perfect with, with what I thought was going to mm -hmm. happen in my assessment. And then the second race I wasn't. So I cost myself, like I said, I want to, when I saw the odds drift and drift and drift all the way up into the forties on Byerly scene, I knew, I knew I was, I knew she was dead to me. Um, and yeah, she ended up, she ran like it. So she, she, she had a chance, I suppose, but she was just short and I was, and I was just wrong. In one of the books I read, it's one of the DRF books, but I think he did like a uh, a concept of using the odds line and figuring out like when a long shot is just like, you know, where, where the odds became like where people really thought she had a chance to where it's just a complete toss out. And I think the odds were like 30 to 1. So once you get above that threshold, it's really hard to figure out, you know, some people might love to see the horse at 50 to 1, but it's interesting that you, knowing the track and knowing that, you know, you would, you would hope that a 15 to one shot would need some juice in the board to see her just go the exact opposite way. Either you missed something or, you know, the, the public was just a hundred percent right on this horse. And that's what ended up happening. Dixie in Candyland ran third solid three to one. there. just a type of horse. Now, when you look at a mile and or a mile, a one and three quarter lengths was the uh, final margin of victory. And then she was what two lengths behind that. So still a good effort put in by the one. What were your thoughts on the one? From an overall standpoint, I was against the one. Mm -hmm. I just I felt like uh, I felt like Keneally and Lannery were going to get bet. Um, she made a, a ton of sense. Um, if anyone who handicaps with with Brisnet would have seen that she was number one prime power, she was going to get played. Um, I just she was she was a lot like. Uh, a lot like hidden facts and that I didn't, I didn't want much of her because I, I, I felt the race was more wide open than, than it looked. And yeah, I mean, Dixieland candy ran well, I mean, but not good enough. And 
if you go back and, and, and you look at, you know, dance rhythms, the horse likely belonged. It was running right back at the 62.5. It was, it was still doing a turf sprint. It was still at Churchill. And, and honestly, it, if you look at the running line, she, she got sixth in that race, but mm-hmm. four of the horses in this race were in that May third, that May 30th race. I mean, hidden facts, uh, even bent dance rhythms and Dixieland candy all raced against each other in their last race. And she got six by a length and a half and her trouble line was bumped and bothered at the start. And, you know, I went back and watched the replay of that race a couple of times and yeah, she, she, she was bumped and bobbled at the start, but I didn't think it was completely horrible. Um, but other people will look at it and think that, that, that was reason enough to play it back. And so if, anyone who played that too in a contest or win money or any, any way in their horizontals had every reason in the world to know to think that that horse made sense um this is a this is a case where a horse that goes off at 10 to 1 and wins and you can look at it and go yep when you know when you're doing your handicap and autopsy and you don't have it on top and you can look at that one and say yeah this is exactly why she makes perfect she makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. you know it's just one of those cases where i i backed the wrong horse um and had regrets for doing so. <laughs> let's uh, let's get into our last race here, Mike. Race eleven at Churchill. It was the Grade Three Louisville Mile and one half on the turf. These marathon races, man, I have a terrible, terrible time with these. What about you? Well, I, I like turf races and I like routes more than I like sprints. So I have no issue with going long on the sod. So I, I, I like the fact that this was the closing race on the card. Let's talk about who you liked on top in the contest here. In the contest, for me, the, the only play, well, that's not true. I, I considered I considered two for my contest play mm-hmm. for different reasons. I considered the the, the four, um, he's no lemon, okay. and I considered the 11 rise, the guy, for the contest play. Um, both of them at longer odds and in the morning line. Um Obviously, Arquo was was going to be the favorite. There was no doubt about it. I, I wanted none of Arquo in the contest at all. Period. Um, for for two reasons. One is if you get it, you're still not going to score very much. So if you're if you're in a close match and you're relying on a favorite to bail you out in the last race, you're going to lose more often than you're going to win. Um, the second reason is it's entirely possible that if you know your opponent in a head to head or you, or you know the, how other people handicap in, in full contests, you, you know, you're not going to make up any ground and you're really not losing that much by trying to fade a favorite like that. Now, the problem with this race was the most likely winner. If, if it wasn't our flow to me was the 12 and Admission office, there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking the admission office, but in my mind, admission office was, was going to be the second favorite. So are you going to take Arquo at even money or six to five or seven to five, whatever, whatever he went off? Uh, okay, so I want to beat that horse. So admission office, if admission office is the next most logical horse, and it's three to one in the money line, and I believe it went off at uh, nine to two, no, seven to two, maybe. Um I didn't, I didn't really want any admission office. Um, so I, to me, I was trying to find a longer price horse that if I was behind in the contest, I could make up ground or 
because if you catch, you know, if you catch a 10 or a 15 to one and it gets second, you're still going to score a bunch of points. A lot of times a 15 to one in second will score more than a six to five that won. Mm-hmm. So you can make up ground that way. Um, in the contest, I even made it my best bet of the day to get the, the multiplier. And in my horizontals, um, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I had, I had four, five, 12 and I got, I got, I got you know, I wanted my longer horse for he's he's no lemon. Arklo was to me Arklo was fifty fifty to win the race anyway. So I, I don't want to have a good ticket going into it and uh, and fade the favorite in the last race, especially a horse like Arklo. I mean, to me, you could make an argument that Arklo might have been the most likely winner on the entire card. Yeah, and admission office, like I said, was to, was the was the horse that was most likely. I, I, I like the upside of Rise the guy. You know, some of these horses in this race are a lot of the horses were five and six year old and, and rise the guy is a four year old. So you can still have a little bit of reason to think that rise the guy is going to improve. He certainly was, was fit because he's been running down at Gulfstream. Made sense. Um, but my, the reason I chose the four overall was Graham motion off the layoff is unbelievable. Yeah. He has most of his horses train at Fairhill. And he's got so many different options to how to train him and what to do with him at Fair Hill. You look at the workout lines. Yeah, sure, the horse has been off for eight, nine months. And I normally don't like to play a horse that's that's six months away. But motion pulls that trick all the time. I mean, anyone who watched the Churchill Downs two weeks ago, that you know, secret message. I was all about secret message that week for the exact same reasons I was all about. He's no lemon this time because motion's really good with this move on the turf. Uh, motion's really good at getting horses back fit. So uh, to me, I, w- I was all about he- he's no lemon here. For me. You know, and, another, and, and, and the other thing is similar to Rise the guy. He's no lemon's a four-year-old, so you hope he's going to improve from three to four. And his last race, even though it was certainly against lesser competition, he had every reason in the world to to improve today, even though he was coming in off the off the layoff. For me, and you talked about knowing, you know, who we're playing. Obviously, we're playing each other. I know that you don't like to play chalk, so I ended up on Arclo on the off chance that I was going to have a close matchup with you, and maybe you wouldn't be blocking me, but you'd be using, you know, the third or fourth choice just in case. And I thought if I was five or six dollars behind, let me try and sneak in the back door here. Obviously, I was not. I think he won by like sixty, seventy dollars over me, which was. You know the low the low time of my of my weekend, but for me, arc low just when you're finishing less than three lengths behind bricks and mortar, who was the powerhouse last year. You come back this year, you lose to another horse that seems to be the new bricks and mortar in Zulu Alpha. I know that he had liked having the longer the longer races. Brad Cox is just as good off the layoff, and Floron has been for what people say. You know, is he good enough? Is he not? Is he good enough? Is he not good enough? He always just seems to have a couple graded stake winners like this every year where he just looks really good on them. Admission office for Leperu was another one that I had thought about, but I thought if I was going to take the other chalk, you know, I wasn't really looking for who was going to be the better value here. I just wanted to have the winner at at the end of it. Uh, the only other horse I could even, like, try to come up with would have been, you know, the top three, which was Tiz a Slam. Another horse that just seems to like going longer distances, nine, four for nine at the distance. And I just ended up going with Arklo on the main fact that if I was close against you, it would end up being, you know, the straw that could break the camel's back and just get me over by a couple of dollars. Yeah. I mean, I, you had my, my game theory pegged 
because you you've seen me and what I do, and mm-hmm. you you knew I wasn't taking Arclo in this race. There's no way. Um, so I played it more aggressively. I mean, I played four eleven. I play I played uh, I played he's no lemon, and I thought that I would get about ten to one on him, and um, I did, mm-hmm. or just about. I think he might have might have been a little bit shorter than shorter than that. And I didn't think Rise the Guy was going to be 20 to 1 at the morning line, but I thought I'd get 15, and I think he was a point or two above um, He's No Lemon. So I had I had no reservations whatsoever when I had 4.11 going into this race and saw the, the morning line. I, I knew, I I mean, honestly, I knew I had a chance of stepping on your throat um, because <laughs> I thought they both were, they were both were going to be live. And, you know, honestly, at the time, I think I had texted you three or four races before when I was for the Croatian race and had, had given me a pretty decent lead against you. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had some winners earlier in the card, you know, I texted you earlier in the week that, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the horse, but the, the, I texted you earlier in the week that the two was going to win going away and one, and it was the chalk. And then I played the ward chalk in the first race. I'll, I'll play chalk if, I just think the horse is that much better and no one else is going to beat it. And, you know, that two-year-old race that, that had Ward with the winner, I suppose you could have gone to the eight, Mr. Pickles, a little bit or maybe fall, fallen in love with a first-time starter. But I played the chalk in a couple races, hit a couple wins, got got a little bit of a lead on you, and then Croatian put put, uh, put some space between me and you, and I, I saw who you played in the last three races, and you were you were pretty chalky. Oh, I, was, I, I, was, I was definitely chalky for sure, 100% on that. Let's uh let's see if you can get he's no lemon into the winner's circle or if I was right with Arklo in the finale at Churchill. Right. And they're off in the Louisville Stakes. Good start for Arklo. Lombo broke well to Appreciato toward the inside. Rise the guy for that outside post. Moves up to be three wide in the opening furlong. So Lombo goes on with it now. Lombo's out to set the pace. Rise the guy's running in second. Appreciato is down inside third. Tis a slam reserved back in fourth inside of Jason Solitude, who's three wide, racing in fifth. Two and a half lengths back. Arklow comes away sixth and on the inside. Right alongside is admission office for that outside post to the two path. Racing in seventh. Two lengths back to Perfect Tapatino. Running along in eighth. Golden Dragon is ninth by five. Then it's Fearsome in tenth. He's no lemon. And at the back is Sky Promise. So bias for the first time. It's Lombo galloping on an unopposed lead so far. Absolutely cruising through the stretch. Rise the guy. Mild pressure, if that. Tizza slams in the clear. Starting to inch a bit forward from third. Appreciato's in fourth. Jace's Solitude's fifth. Arklo is sixth and down inside, about four or five lengths off the lead. The opening quarter was 24 and 2, the half and 49 and 2 fifth seconds. Just under six and a half furlongs to go, and Lombo continues to lead the way, leads by a length. Tis a slam, has moved into second now. Rise the guy is tucked away at the inside third. Appreciato's racing in fourth. Jace's solitude fifth and five flanks off the lead. Arklo still sixth. Admission office sticking with Arklo so far. They're together in about five lengths off the lead. Perfect Tapatino followed by Golden Dragon. He's no lemon. Fearsome and Sky Promise at the back. 
Four furlongs to go. Lombo heading for the far turn. Tis a slam makes a move now. Tis a slam grabs the lead for that far turn run. Lombo's back into second. Rise the guy's got a shot right there third. Arklow steady progress comes off the hedge. Fourth and in between Jace's solitude. Admission office is forced to go wide round the far turn. Perfect Tapatino's finding a seam in behind. He's on lemon comes wide and appreciato. Off the turn, into the stretch, Tizza Slam, admission office, pounces down the center of the course. Arklow's going to have to come through toward the hedge. Right there, too, is Rise the Guy, Jace's Solitude. He's no lemon. One furlong to go. Admission office in front. Arklow has to dig down deep. Here comes Arklow after admission office. These two streaking through the stretch. He's no lemon on the outside. Down to the wire. Admission office. Arklow, admission office. Got it. And the number 12 admission office gets it done, paying 920 with a 99 buyer. What were your thoughts on the winner, Mike? Kind of what we talked about before the race. Uh, he was, to me, uh, admission office was the most likely uh, horse to upset Arklow. Like I said to you, I, I didn't want any any bit of Arklow for the contest. Uh, Arklow was still game and almost good enough. And the two long shot horses at a price that I wanted both had their chances. Uh, He's No Lemon was flying up the outside. And ended up being a little bit short, and the uh, the eleven didn't embarrass himself and, and and finished fourth. So this is a case of where, in a, from a contest standpoint, I got exactly what I wanted. Just like when we talk about the set, the race seven earlier, I got exactly what I wanted. But that time I had the winner. This time I I knew he's no lemon was going to have to be um, a monster to to beat Arklow in admission office and. Quite frankly, if, if, if a horse that Arco, uh, he's no lemon went off right close to 10 to 1, if he gets a place and you can somehow beat Arklow behind him, you'll get a nice little payoff in the contest. And, and I mean, it's a, that's a, I had some exact money on uh, he's no lemon and rise the guy, so I was disappointed that, uh, that I didn't get any of that uh, from a personal standpoint. Uh, full disclosure, I played my, uh, played my horizontals wrong and i didn't hit the pick five so it's one of those situations where you, you get four out of five and you're you're right you know you're i was right about a lot of things but I, I didn't have the right horse when i tried to beat the wrong horse and i didn't play it heavily enough and but i played the contest well enough to to take care of my competition and, and move on to next week so we can also talk a little bit of game theory here before we let you go. Uh, Six twenty for me with Arklow, four forty for you with uh, with your pick. The fact that I had to get second and I only got what two dollars more than you did. If you get second, I end up with only probably about two twenty, and you end up on what twelve dollars. That's where a lot of the argument is for you, where you should be picking longer shots and not just the chalk. Because if you're wrong with the chalk two or three times in the contest, you're in a lot of hurt if they're right on their on their end with their longer shots. Yeah, but you can make it up with one horse by being right. I mean, Croatian probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have covered two or three chalk winners for you, but mm-hmm. you know, the dance rhythms certainly would. You know, in the first two weeks of the contest, uh, the well, the first week I had Secret Message that, and I believe Secret Message gave that was the the, the angle I used for this motion horse. Mm-hmm. I mean, it had Johnny V on it first in the first uh, week, um, and this one. Uh, obviously Johnny V was in uh, New York, so so Motion had uh, Bejarano up. I mean, when you're right on a bomb, you can you can make up four, five, six races against your your opponent. I mean, there have been some nice nice hits in the Daily Gallop contest, 
This week, the scores were lower. I think the first week, uh, Barbaro is low 200s, mid 200s. Um, uh, he, he was low 300s. He was 327, I low think. Low 300. Sorry, sorry, Josh. I didn't mean to uh, jip you there. Uh, <laughs> Baba Luch had a big score in the second week because he was the only person that had that 92, 94 to 1 at Santa Anita. Mm-hmm. You know, he. I mean, that was a week where uh, Gene Grishiver was perfect for, through like the first five, six, seven races of the card, picking winner after winner after winner. And that Santa Anita card was, was very you know, chalky. Small field, but he was, he was hitting winners and Baba Luch beat him for, with one horse and yeah. so that's the thing is when you when you pl- when you play a pick and pray contest like this where they're all locked down and you can't make your changes and throw bombs later trying to catch up if you're willing to play a longer priced horse knowing that uh you know you're, you might not get the winner but if you if you lo- love a longer priced horse uh, i i put it on put it on my uh entry because you you can win off of one horse so there's definitely different ways of thinking about the contest side of it, especially when you're head to head and, you know, you might be friends with the person that you're playing against and know how they play. Like that was an advantage I felt I had this week because mm-hmm. I knew, I knew you were going to throw chalk on the board. So I didn't have to, um, you know, and then you might've even been surprised when you saw that I did have some chalk on the board earlier in the card, you know, but I'm, I wasn't going to play that way if I, in a bigger field, if I felt like I had a, a chance of trying to, you know, trying to put you away. So, I don't play a lot of favorites. Um, as a matter of fact, there are times when I'll see a horse that's five or six to one on the morning line, and I'll play it in the contest, and it gets bet to the favorite. And I'm more, even if it wins, I'm still mad that I played the horse that I got bet to the favorite. So I, you know, for me, when I play in contests, either on you know horse players or horse tourneys or you know derby wars or whatever that you're playing against a bunch of people. Um, I try to look for value horses. You know, there are times that you don't hit on any of them, but you're you're never gonna, in my opinion, you're never gonna win a contest by playing primarily chalk. You're just not. You can in the head-to-head contest because the head-to-head contest, you only have to beat one person. It's more about being right than wrong, so you can be a little more chalk dependent. So game theory comes comes into play with that, but. There are, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and I just, I just feel like the the best way to win these contests, or especially the gallops head-to-head, is find yourself some horses that are five, eight, ten, twelve to one, and you, if you like them, play them because I think people underestimate the value of a ten to one finishing second um, as compared to you know, a six to five finishing first, you'll just, that we had seen it several times during this contest that a bomb in second pays more than the favorite in first. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just game theory and trying to figure out, you know, it, if, if you don't, if you can't put your your pit top picks in the money, you can't win period. So mm-hmm. you can't, you know, you don't throw 20s and 30s and 40s to one on the board trying to hit that one horse. You you want to like a horse for a reason. So if you can if you can come up with, you know, five or six horses on half the card that you have a reason at 10, 12 to one. Those those are the horses you should be playing in, in the contest. Couldn't agree more with you on that aspect. This week it's a little bit of in the money family feud. It's me versus JK. <laughs> Can't wait for that. Mike, that's pretty much all the time we do have for today, though. Tell people where they can reach out to you on social media. Uh, social media, I'm, I'm primarily the, the, the snarky guy 
at uh, at Gorgonzola 44. Dabble a little around a little bit on the Daily Gallops Twitter feed as well. But my 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 personal feed is at Gorgonzola 44. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> not as active as some, but uh, I check it a few times a day. I I love, love interacting with people and making new friends and. learning some handicapping angles i mean a lot of people that are in the the daily gallop expansion from our 20 to to 48 are people that i met or have reached out to me on twitter or i noticed on twitter i do a little bit of reddit cherry drinks got me to do a little bit of the discord but i'm 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 primarily um on twitter's daily gallop at at the daily gallop and at gorgonzola 44 Thanks so much, Mike, for your time this week. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to coming on to, to rewind with you, Spencer. And, uh, you know, we got eight more weeks of this head-to-head tournament and should have some fun with it. Got some good summer, spring and summer racing coming up. Thanks a ton, Mike. Thanks to all great fans for listening to the show and my special guest, Mike McIntyre. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Forentel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.